Amen. Some of you like the older songs better than the newer songs. Am I right? Maybe we'll have a throwback service coming up. I'll talk to Pastor Mark about that. Do some of the older songs, like, uh, you know, Twilight Paris hits from the 80s and the 90s, and we'll go way back. This is, uh, this is quite an interesting week because we're done with our Christmas services, but we're not quite ready to start a new series yet. So I always like to take this Sunday, you know, on the eve of a new year to reflect on, on the year that's over and the year that's coming and how much more is that important now that a decade is about to end. The uh, 2000 teens are almost done. The 2000s are not teenagers anymore. We're about to turn 20, 2020. So it's a great Sunday for reflection. So my sermon is going to be uh, called A Timely Prayer, and it comes from Psalm 90, where Moses, the man of God, stops his, his old life and reflects on God and time and eternity uh, and, and what, a, what a prayer we find in Psalm 90. I don't know about you, but at the end of a decade here, at the end of a long, hard year, 2019, um, the older I get, it seems like the faster time flies. Uh, like, where's the brakes? I'm, I'm kind of like trying to find the brakes to slow the thing down, um, but time just seems to be going faster each year. I'm not the only one who has noticed this. A famous poet and author once wrote this. How did it get late so soon? It's night before it's afternoon. December is here before it's June. My goodness, how the time has flown. How did it get to be so late so soon? That's Dr. Seuss. <laughs> famous author, famous poet. Time is something that um, everybody thinks about. And in Psalm 90, we learn how God uses time. How God uses time to teach us wisdom, to expose our folly, to reveal his nature, and most of all, to invite us into a deeper and more abiding relationship with him. God uses time to do all of that. When it comes to time, the world invites us to manage time and to track it and to chart it, but we're invited in the Bible to do more than that. We're invited not just to record it, but to respond to relate in a manner that reflects God's glory. Every moment you and I are alive, we're invited to glorify God with the time he has given us. And when it comes to how we glorify God with the days that he has given us, Moses, the man of God, is a great one to reflect on this. Moses actually shouldn't have had a very long life. If you remember his story, when he was born, the Pharaoh had an order that all baby boys would be thrown, what? Into the Nile. The Jews were increasing in number, and Pharaoh didn't want any uprising, and so Moses should have had a very short, forget, uh, forgotten life. But God changed that. And so Moses, as he's nearing or approaching or even over 100 years old, writes Psalm 90. The wisdom we're going to read this morning is from 3,500 years ago. This guy was reflecting on life and age and eternity. He's going to help us do the same. But first, let's pray. Father, we ask that through Moses, the man of God, and his reflection and his wisdom, that you would teach us how to learn from time, how to learn from your word about making our lives count, making the moments count. Show us, O oh Lord, as we wrap up another year and another decade, how to begin the next one with our eyes on you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
All right, if you're not there already, turn to Psalm 90. The book of Psalms was written long after Moses lived. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, and then uh, in David's day, they compiled the Psalms. The Psalms were songs and poems written for the Old Testament church. So you remember when you were in elementary school, you wrote those like acrostic poems with your name and then like, you know, things next to it, or even used the alphabet uh, and you wrote words next to it. A lot of the works in Psalms are written like that. They're like acrostics or, or they have patterns that are very artistic. So the book of Psalms is a very interesting book. The Psalm 90 is something that Moses wrote in his day, uh, but then they grabbed it and they put it into the Psalms in David's day and after that, and even when they compiled it long after So Moses wrote it um, in his day. It's recorded later. It kicks off book four of the Psalms, and the title is From Everlasting to Everlasting. It's actually a prayer. So what we're reading here is a prayer that Moses wrote. And so you have to learn. So I'm basically teaching you a prayer that Moses wrote, and he's going to help us to reflect on God and on life and on time. It says in Psalm 90, verse 1, Lord, you have been our dwelling place. In all generations, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. Moses begins his prayer by telling God who God is. He ascribes praise to God. So number one, you can write this down. Praise you for being the everlasting God. Praise you for being the everlasting God. Moses praised that, and and we should pray that. Praise you, O Lord, for being the everlasting God. He features God as creator here. Before the mountains were brought forth, now we're all the way back before time began, or ever you had formed the earth and the world. He's talking about creation. God as creator specifically the creator of the mountains. And it says here, before the mountains were brought forth, in the, in the original it means born, before the mountains were born. The idea of mountains being born is kind of a, a picturesque thought. So here's a picture of mountains, and I kind of imagine mama mountain in the middle, and then baby mountain over there on the right. And I imagine a mountain giving birth, you know, like the mama mountain is like, it's time, get me to the hospital. <laughs> How much am I dilated? How many miles am I dilated? Is it close? The, It's a funny thought, a mountain being born, right? Well, Moses describes the whole universe as being born by God. God birthing a universe, bringing it into being. And that immediately creates a separation between the material and the spiritual realm. God is spirit. He's not matter. He made matter. Everything in this life came into being, came into existence, was born Everything that begins to exist has a cause. The universe began to exist, and therefore the universe has a cause. God exists outside of the material world, yet he moves freely within it. That means that God created time and space and matter. You and I, we have a material part of our being. We're matter, we're skin, we're bones, we're blood, we're we're, we're all of that, but we are also spiritual, which makes us alive in two worlds at the same time. We are made in God's image, and therefore we're not just matter, but we are matter. Therefore, we are created beings, but we're created in the image of a holy God, which means we will always exist uh, because God made us to exist like him. 
praise you for being the everlasting God. There before creation, before the mountains were made, there is God. So jot this down. Moses is saying this, God, you're, you're an unbeginning being. Before anything, there was God. God, you are an, you're eternal. You're, you're an unbeginning being. <clears throat> Sometimes people will say, well, if God created everything, who created God? How many of you have heard that one before? If God created everything, who created God? Uh, they make a mistake in category. Everything that begins to exist has a cause. God never began. God never began. We don't believe in a God who began to exist. We believe in a God, what did he tell Moses? He says, Moses, who am I supposed to tell Pharaoh sent me? He said, tell them I am. 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 Now you might be like, well, I was looking through the baby name book and there's a whole lot more interesting names than I am. Why did God pick I am to describe himself, right? Kind of rhymes with yam, I am. Why did he pick that? Listen, only God can actually say I am and it's true. Because there was a time when you wasn't. Right? There was a time when you weren't. There was a time when you were nowhere and nothing, only a hypothetical thought in the mind of a creative God who decided to make you. But God never began. He never started. Listen, you, you could just spend the rest of the morning thinking of this. <laughs> he never started existing. He just is. Wow. Wow. That should beckon us to awe and wonder at the everlasting God. Before there was anything, there was God. And this is true of the Lord Jesus. It's not true of you that you've always been. This is an attribute of God called his eternality. And some of the things that God is, like he's love, we can be that too. But some of the things he is, we can't be. And you can never be eternal. But Jesus was. Jesus said to the Pharisees, before Abraham was born, I am. Meaning prior to 2000 BC, Jesus said, I am. Jesus took the very nature of God on himself. Jesus is an unbeginning being. Wow. Moses looks back and sees God as far as the eye can see. You're an unbeginning being. Before you had ever formed the earth of the world... Then he says this, from everlasting to everlasting. So now he's looking ahead. You are God. Jot this down. Time changes nothing about you. Time changes nothing about you. Start to finish, God is the same. So time is created, and yet time doesn't change God. God's relationship to time is different than yours and mine. It says here in verse 4, a thousand years in your sight is but as yesterday when it's past or as a watch in the night. God is not bound by the confines of time. And so God is unchanging. He's unbeginning and he's unchanging. The Bible says this is true about Jesus as well. Jesus Christ is the same. What does it say? Yesterday and today and forever. Now sometimes we get this wrong because we assume, well, if God never changes, he must be similar to the things that never change on this world like a rock. That rock never changes. Or a canyon. Oh, that never is different. It's always the same. That would be a mistake. Here's a statue of Moses. I think this is a Michelangelo. You know, wow, you become so famous that someone carves you out of marble. You know, there's, wow, it's Moses. And sometimes we imagine God who's not changing. 
mistakenly as being like this, like this, this statue, frozen in time, he never changes, or, or, or like an oil painting, never moves. That's not what it means when it says that God doesn't change. When it says God doesn't change, it means everything about his nature, his love, his truth, his beauty, his light, his wrath, his mercy, all of that emanates from an unchanging eternal nature. He never changes who he is. And time is really the display of things that are eternally true about God. So when you catch a sliver of his beauty, let's say that you read a poem somebody wrote or a song somebody performed, and you, wow, it, or you see a, a, a landscape that you'd love to paint. Wow, that's so beautiful. That's like a keyhole that shows you something that's eternally perfectly true about God. He's beautiful. And when you hear something that's true or when someone does something loving, you, you see in part in time something that is perfectly always fully true in God. He is love. He's truth. When you see something just and fair done, you see something in part in time that's always gloriously fully true in God. He's just. Time really breaks up something that is unbreakable in God. He's eternal nature. Therefore, time doesn't change God. Time reveals an unchanging God. But he's not dead. He's not stone. He's not an oil painting. He's very much alive. And time reveals that. Time changes nothing about God. Praise you for being the everlasting God. You're an unbeginning being before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world. From everlasting, time changes nothing about you. To everlasting, you are God. Now this is not impersonal. You could, you could just take what I just told you and be like, I'm just never going to figure him out or know him. That's wrong. Moses says in verse 1, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. It's very personal. It's very close. So write this down. You are our refuge forever. Our dwelling place there means a, a fortress. You are our fortress forever. I like that thought of being a fortress. The most popular video game out right now is still like Fortnite. Fortnite, the geniuses of Fortnite figured out that as uh, kids run around with little guns, you know, eliminating the enemy, they'd also love to build things. So it's kind of a Minecraft meets a, a shooter game. And so here's a picture from Fortnite. But you get to build things while you're running around trying to survive. Uh, it's real cartoony, which is kind of fun. I've played it. I'll admit it. I'm not ashamed to admit it because I've got a teenage son. So uh, he's my excuse. But I, yeah, I played it. And uh, Fortnite is so cool because you can build a fort. And then people can't really eliminate you. But what you figure out real fast is if you just build your fort out of wood, it's going to get destroyed. If you build it out of brick, it'll do a little better. But if you can make it out of metal, it takes a little bit longer to build. But then it's like virtually indestructible uh, to uh, when you're in the fight. So when it comes to Fortnite, it's fun to build forts. Hey, what's your fort made of? Wood. Hey, what's your fort made of? Brick. Hey, mine's made of metal. Oh, yeah, well, mine's made of God. The idea of God being your fort is a really awesome thought. He is our fortress. He is our refuge. He is our dwelling place in all generations. And when you're inside him, you're protected from what? Moses is kind of speaking here on behalf of humanity. You've been our fortress in all generations. Earth needs heaven because everything about this life is changing and chaotic and dangerous except God. 
God is therefore our refuge, our fortress. He is our hiding place. You are our refuge forever. Here's a picture of where Moses was writing this. It's called the tabernacle. They were setting up camp in the wilderness. He was a tent dweller. And he lived with a million other tent dwellers. I don't know how long you've camped. What's your record? Three days, four days, five days. Try 40 years of tent camping. But he walks outside in the middle of the wilderness under an open sky and says, we've got a fortress. God is with us. And that could be your perspective too. You are our refuge forever. Now this reflects the ideal mindset that anyone can have. God is everlasting to everlasting. Time changes nothing about him and he's my fortress. That's the ideal perspective. But then Moses moves on. And he says in verse 3, You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man. Verse 5, You sweep them away as with a flood. They're like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and it withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all of our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble and soon they're gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? Number two, write this down. We confess we're mortal and fallen. You're the everlasting God. We're mortal and fallen. We're mortal and fallen. This is a prayer, so he first describes praise to God, and then he confesses the truth about man. We're mortal. We're fallen. This is the prayer of Moses. We confess it. So now we're not in the ideal mindset. We're in the actual situation. The Israelites, you know the story, had marched out triumphantly under Moses through the Red Sea. And they complained, and God gave them food and water. And they went to the brink of the promised land and the spies went in and came back and said no we can't remember that and then just two of the spies right were like we can let's do it and the rest of them were like no they're very big and tall we need to stay here and god brought immediate judgment the ground swallowed up the 10 spies that misled the people they died that day and then god said the rest of you are going to be put to death in the wilderness 40 years, you'll all die out here. Moses knows what it means. Imagine camping for 40 years because someone else messed up. Could have been in the land flowing with milk and honey. But no. And Moses is confessing what it feels like to, be, to see his whole generation just dying out under the punishment of God. So time reveals God's nature, but time also teaches us God's holiness. Our sins invited God's wrath, and God justly brings it on us. Oh, you can get away with something for a little bit, but it's coming out, and God's judgment is coming. Time will see to that. Time teaches us God's holiness. So God is this fortress from everlasting to everlasting, but when we venture out from under his protection, out from his presence, we bring judgment on ourselves. And that's where Israel is living now. We confess we're mortal and fallen. 
We suffer disgrace, we suffer defeat, and then we're reminded that apart from God, we're really nothing. It says in verse 3, you return man to dust. Write this down. Remind us we are dust. Remind us we are dust. This uh, harkens back to creation. When we were made from dirt, God made us from dirt, right? You, and then when, when we blew it, God told Adam and Eve, from dust you came and to dust you will return. Now that refers to the earthly life. We actually can never end existing, but the earthly life, which is a passageway into the eternal, will come to an end. To dust you will return. This is not a flattering depiction of who we are. Dust. We're created beings. Sometimes people say, I'm going to find myself. I'm going to go to school. I'm going to go on a trip, and I'm going to find myself. I'll save you the hassle. Just go home and walk up to your fridge, and then, and then reach up and run your finger across the top of your fridge, and then look at your finger, and you found yourself. <laughs> Dust. Dust. This is me. Without God, this is me. I'm, I'm dust, I'm breakable, I'm fragile. I'm, I'm... And listen to the way that it describes humanity. It says here in verse 5, you sweep them away as with a flood. They're like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. This describes how life is brief and fragile. When you're interpreting poetic language, it's a little tough to get the exact meaning, but it sounds like what's happening is they're out in the desert, so when it says grass, it doesn't mean like sod, but there's this little grass that grows up, and then a flood comes in and just, boom, takes it out and just, just throws it into the ground, and it's dead, and then that's a portrait of death. Here, God comes along, and we just die, and we're, you know, we're, we're put in the ground, and then the next day, new grass springs up, and guess what? By evening, that grass withers and is gone because the sun took it out. And I think that's a picture of the cycle of generations of people coming. Oh, here's your generation, and then, whoop, swept away in the ground. Next generation comes up, gone by evening. Humanity comes, humanity goes. One generation comes, one nation comes, and there it goes, like dust, like grass. It's not flattering. Compared to God, when we're outside of his favor, we're just dust. Now, we have to be careful here because you can really struggle with some self-esteem issues if you're just like, oh, you're right, I'm just dust. I'm just nothing but dirt. Well, it's true, but that's not all. You're also made in God's image, and you're a glorious image-bearer of Him. You're right. I am a God. No, that's too far. <laughs> dust in God's image. And I like how the Bible describes that. It says that He made man from dust, and then He breathed life into His nostrils, which is really awesome and really gross the same time. One author I was reading recently about how we're dirt that God breathed on said the way that God breathed life into us was not sterile. It's not sterile. Think of how close he was when he made us. It's a powerful image. God, God breathing on dust. And that creates a tension. Jot this down. Teach us to fear you and turn from sin. It says we're brought to an end by your anger in verse 7. By your wrath we are dismayed. Adam and Eve were not supposed to die. Technically they're supposed to still be here today. Careful with your theology of humanity. The source of our living forever was never found within us. That was never our nature. 
The tree of life was outside of us. God made a provision outside of us so that we could access life beyond our nature. And it's when sin came into the world that we were cut off from that supernatural provision. You could argue that it was the faith expressed by the people that welcomed them into the presence of God's grace. And when they cut that off, they were cut off from eternal life. And then nature took its course. We were made dust. We were made with death as our future. And God made a special provision to prevent that. When we were cut off from that, nature took its course. We're mortal. We're fallen. Therefore, teach us to fear you and to turn from sin. And the pages of history are dripping with the blood that comes when sin is our mindset. You think of Sodom, you think of Noah, you think of Egypt. Teach us to turn from sin. It says here, um, we're brought to an end by your anger, your wrath, we're dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. Time digs up what we bury. You can't bury it for long. It's coming up. It's coming out. People have been commenting on this forever. In 400 BC, a uh, writer named Euripides wrote this. We'll put the quote up there. Time will discover everything to posterity. It's a babbler and speaks even when no question is put. It's a funny thought. Time personified as being a babbler. He did it. He did it. He did it. He did it. Shut up. Just give it enough time and it just keeps talking. Time will babble all of your secrets eventually. Therefore, we have to realize that time is ticking. Even a long life is short. The years of our life are 70. Even by reason of strength, 80. Their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone. Even a long life, soon gone. Teach us to fear you and turn from sin. Hey, given the consequences of our sin and the punishment that comes... We should respond to the days with repentance and regret and remorse. Time is showing you that there's still a chance to turn around. But you don't have forever. I like what Hector Berlioz says. He says, time is a great teacher, but unfortunately it kills all of its pupils. <laughs> Meaning time is showing you, wow, the Bible's right. Wow, God is real. Wow, I'm getting caught. Wow, yep, and there's still time. But it's almost up. So we have to respond with the days that we're given. Number one, praise you for being the everlasting God. You're an unbeginning being. Time changes nothing about you. You are our refuge forever. Number two in Moses' prayer, we confess we're mortal and fallen. Remind us we're dust. Teach us to fear you and turn from sin. Number three, jot this down. Teach us to number our days. Verse 12, so teach us to number our days so that we may get a heart of wisdom. Here's what I love about this. Moses is an aging man, 100, maybe, maybe older. He's lived a hard life. You know his story, right? First 40 years, he was pampered in the palace, raised by Pharaoh's daughter. Anything he wanted. Then he rose up and realized his people were in slavery, killed a guy. Went on the run. 40 years, he was a fugitive, lived in the middle of nowhere. Shepherd. Then a burning bush talked to him. God called him to a great mission. 80 years old. Let's do it. Let's go, let's go and rescue a whole country. He did it. So from 80 to 120, he relocated a million complaining people. Is that your retirement plan? 
And here he is now, over 100, reflecting. And what does he say? What does he say? What does he say? Lord, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Now he's focusing on, he finally got to the prayer. He confessed, he praised, and now he's praying. So this is, he's asking this for the future. I don't know what's going to be on your prayer list when you're 100, but he's asking this for the future. And he says, teach us to number our days. That means, first of all, to know that they're numbered, meaning to count them up and to realize they're short and they're precious. But it also means make them count, meaning number them, mark them, make them noteworthy, Lord. Teach us to number them and value them and fill them with these things that he's going to ask for. I love that as Moses reflects on life, he doesn't conclude that it's all nonsense. It's all all worth nothing. What's the point? God is God and we're not. Let's just, you know, he doesn't conclude that it's meaningless. Some people do. Some people believe that life is just meaningless nonsense. You really can't make it count. Shakespeare in Macbeth had his character say this. Shakespeare's Macbeth said this. Life's but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard of no more. It's a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury signifying nothing. And based on the headlines and some of our difficulties in life, you might be tempted to feel the same way. My life makes no sense. It's a tale told by an idiot. This world makes no sense. It's all going to be just the feeling that it's meaningless nonsense is a big temptation. But Moses doesn't conclude that. He says, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. And then he starts asking for things for his future, meaning he believes that it can really count for something. But what does he ask for? Jot this down. Fill our lives with your wisdom. Write that down. Fill our lives with your wisdom. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. He knew that if life was going to count, if it was really going to matter, wisdom had to be what marked his way. Wisdom. Hey, pray that God fills 2020 and beyond with God's wisdom. This is not Moses coming up with a do-it-yourself project. Lord, I'm going to learn your wisdom. He's asking God to do it. Fill me, teach me to number my days. Make me wise. Hey, are you going to pray and ask God to make you wise? The opposite of wisdom in the book of Proverbs is folly, the fool. The fool who doesn't follow God's ways, who is seduced by the world. God, empty my life of folly and teach me to walk in a way that is worthy of you. Many times in the Bible, there's a call to this. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. This calling to the wisdom of God. And a calling to the wisdom of God is synonymous with a calling to the word of God. Your your time in God's word, your knowledge of God's word, your obedience of God's word is wisdom. So asking God to teach you wisdom is asking him to teach you his word. Show me your word, Lord. Here's a picture of how Moses got the Ten Commandments. And God didn't just let people figure it out. Well, let's see if this makes God happy. Nope. Let's see if this God's... Like, God's just not up there. Remember the family feud where you would, you know, make a guess, and if it was wrong, the big red X would come up there. God's not just up there, like, watching as we try and find his will. And then being like, no... He handed down stone tablets written by his own finger. Here it is. Here's my word. Here's my ways. 
How I love your law, the psalmist said. How I love your law. Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light for my path. Are you longing for God to grow you in wisdom? Hey, how was 2019 in your Bible reading? Did you have a plan? Did you follow it? Did you have scheduled daily time in God's word? Did you get through a good chunk of it? Did you memorize some of it? You and God's word. Were you growing in wisdom this year? Do you need a plan for 2020? I'm going to read through the Bible in 2020. Maybe you want to do that with me. Three to five chapters a day, and you'll get through the book in a year. If you fall behind, just binge. You know, like when you're on vacation or you know, long car ride or whatever, listen to it. Uh, but maybe you want to set a goal to get through the Bible next year, reading it all or reading the Gospels. But hey, have, do you have a plan yet? And have you told anybody your plan yet? Have a plan and tell someone, here's my 2020 plan to grow in wisdom. Lord, fill my life with your wisdom. It says here, teach us to number our days so that we may get a heart of wisdom. Verse 13, return, O Lord, how long have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen evil. Jot this down. Fill our lives with your love, with your wisdom and with your love. He believes it can happen on a daily basis. Satisfy us in the morning with your, with your love. Here's a picture again of where they are, the tabernacle. Look, they're there. And God's like, meet me, or Moses is like, meet me in the morning. Meet me tomorrow morning. And look, his mercies are new every day. Wherever you're waking up, wherever, when you sit at that table and you're like, Lord, meet me today in your love. You walk up to that well of grace that's yours in Christ and you draw up freshly the living water that's promised to you. And we need it. We need it every day. Lord, fill my life with your love. This is a call for Moses to say, God, do it again. Show up again. Love me again. And be careful not to just... Be careful uh, defining spiritual growth in an unbiblical manner. Sometimes people think if you're just growing in a knowledge of God's word, that's it. But actually, growing in knowledge is never the governing metric in the Bible of spiritual growth or maturity. Love is. Love is. It says in 1 Corinthians 13, 1-2, If I speak... In the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love on noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and listen, all knowledge. You get so smart, you win jeopardy every time. And I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love. I am nothing. I am nothing. Hey, has 2019 made you a more loving person? Truth plus life plus time should equal a more loving you. You could have been doing your devotions every day this year, but if truth plus time plus life equals a less loving you, you're doing it wrong. If you're more selfish or more cold and disconnected or, or more entitled, or you're doing it wrong. Love is the governing metric of spiritual maturity. I love watching the new Star Wars series, The Mandalorian on Disney+. Plus. you got to get it. Maybe next year we'll include, everybody who joins the church will get a complimentary subscription to Disney+. Plus <laughs> On us. The Mandalorian is so amazing, but the Mandalorians live by a creed. And whenever life's getting hard and in the middle of a battle, they don't know what to do, you know, he just says the same thing. This is the way. This is the way. They've committed to it. They've, they've committed to it, and they're not going to veer from it. They just, this is the way. And I love that. With resolve, what do we say? What do we say? Th this is the way. This is the way. And do you know what the Bible says about love? It's the most excellent way. 
This is the way. It's how we're moving forward. Lord, fill our lives with your love. Lord, show me your compassion and help me to show others your love. Is that your prayer? Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen evil. Moses is asking God to tip the scales. Lord, make it all a reflection of your love and your presence. In verse 16, he says, Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Write this down. Fill our lives with your power. Show me again and show, your, show my children your power. Now, if I were Moses, I'd, I'd feel a little greedy asking for God to show off more. What more do you want? All the plagues on Egypt, I walked you through the Red Sea, I, a burning bush spoke to you, you know, and, and water came from the rock. You want me to do more? And Moses is like, yes. Here's a picture of one of the plagues coming on Egypt, a painting. Somebody gave it their best effort. Wow, the glory of Egypt. Pharaoh's kingdom and hail pounding down on it. They saw God's power. And Moses is like, do it again. Do it again. I want more. 100 years old, I want more. I want more. Do you read through the pages of this book and are you like, man, I wish God did things like that in my day? Ask him. Come down, Lord. Fill my life with your power. Are you asking great things of a great God who has all the power in the world and all the time to do it? Are you asking him, Lord, come down. Lord, change my family. Lord, change my school. Change my heart. Change my marriage. Change my job. And start with me. Are you asking great things? of a great God. Lord, fill our lives with your power. There's no better way to do that than to keep a prayer list and a record of what God has done. I've told you this before, but I'll show you again. You know, I, I would really challenge you as you close out 2019 to, uh, to keep a list of, of evidence of God's power in 2019. 2019, what has God done? What has he done? Keep a record of it. Right, I've got 2018, I've got 2017 and 16 up here. Simple note card. Write down everything God has done. This is like your trophy case, right? And then, and then when it comes to what you want him to do, keep a list of your big prayers, the big ones, all right? You don't write down on your big card like, bless my lunch, right? Make it healthy, all right? Uh, you write your big ones, your real big ones. People you want to see saved, lives you want to see impacted, goals you want to see achieved, right? Breakthroughs you want to see, I mean, relationships you want to see restored. You write it all down. You write it all down. And then you just, very simple, you just keep it with you. Come down, Lord. Fill our lives with your power, Lord. And then, I like what Moses says last. And this is a good way to end a year and begin a new decade. Verse 17, let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us. Establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Write this down. Establish the work of our hands. Hey, listen, this is a guy who was raised in a palace. This is a guy who escaped as a murderer, who's now building a nation and writing a Bible. And he goes, Lord, if you don't establish this work, it's going to be nothing. It's going to be, he saw the best of Egypt. If you don't establish the work of our hands, it's going gonna, it's gonna to become nothing. And I don't know what you're working on. I don't know what you're giving your life and your time and your energy to. But if God doesn't establish it, it's going to be nothing in the end. 
It's just going to be swept away with history. It will be nothing. Ask God, Lord, establish me, my family, my church, my marriage. You establish me, my legacy, my children, my grandchildren. And then, when you've invited God to fill your days with his wisdom, his love, his power, with his favor, then your life will count. Then your life will matter. He'll do eternal things in you and through you that time cannot undo. Hey, number one, praise you, Lord, for being the everlasting God. Bring this to God this week. Number two, confess your mortal and fallen. And number three, ask God to teach you to number your days. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we close out this decade together. Father, on this last service of a whole decade, last service of a whole year, we just come to your presence and call out to you. You are the everlasting God. You never change. We are mortal, fragile, fallen. We're dust, we're grass, we're short, we're here, we're gone. Teach us to number our days, Lord. We ask you now, as a new decade approaches, fill our lives with your wisdom. Fill our lives with your love. Fill our lives with your power. Fill our lives with your favor. Establish the work of our hands, Lord. Establish the work of our hands. As we turn from sin and folly and seduction by the world, show us your ways and teach us your paths. And we pray that the next 10 years of life would be one revelation of your nature and beauty and your love and your justice and your truth after another. Show others who you are through our lives as you prepare our hearts for eternal glory at your side. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Spirit of the living God, fill us and use us. And we ask this in your name. Amen.